0: John chapter 12. Why don't you guys stand with me this morning? Let's stand. I, I kind of, I, originally my planning was going to keep going into chapter 13, but I just can't, we can't get there this morning. So we're just going to wrap up chapter 12. And so uh, we'll read through to the end of the chapter here. It says this, uh, we'll start, start, way through verse 36, it said, "When Jesus said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the word uh, spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord who has believed what He heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I've come into the world as light. So that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one... Who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Lord, we just thank you for your word this morning. God, we pray that you would open the eyes and the ears of our heart, Lord, to understand, to see you, Lord, that we would have, that your Holy Spirit would give us a spirit of revelation, that we might know Jesus better, that we might understand who you are more, Lord, that salvation and the gospel would become clearer for us, Lord. I pray, God, that, uh, yeah, just that your Holy Spirit would anoint this time, that Jesus would be glorified. And so we ask these things in your name. Amen. Man, right on. You guys can be seated. Is it cold in here? Are we okay? Are we good? I saw, sorry, I saw Jay messing with the thermostat. Is that door open over here? Yeah. Yes. Is it freezing? Not yet. Greg, do you mind closing that? Just, you yeah, okay. Not yet. I think we're going to get there, so, you know, it's not like it's that warm out. Sweet. Well, uh, yeah, chapter 12 here, this is the, this is kind of an interesting section of scripture because this covers the end. This is like John's account of the end of Jesus' public ministry. Like this is it. As far as John's gospel is concerned, everything that happens from this point on, when we get to the end of chapter 12, is all in private. It's like, after chapter 12, we like get to be the fly on the wall and get to like find out what happened with Jesus and his disciples leading up to the cross that week of the passion. But this is it. Like this is the public stuff that happened with Jesus and it comes to the end right here. And, and so it's interesting just to consider that because it's like these, the, that, what that tells me is this. It's like, hey, you know, it's like this is the, the last public teaching It's probably kind of important. You know, the last thing that Jesus would declare for the crowds to hear before he, like, withdrew, like, it matters. You know, like, it's like the last will and testament almost in a sense. And so John tells us this in verse 37, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. Now, to me, that's like, that's like astounding, this unbelief surrounding Jesus. And, and John's told us a lot of stuff about Jesus. And one of the questions that you, you, you ask, I think, is like, well, why don't they believe? And the first thing John wants us to know this is this, that be, not believing in Jesus is actually illogical. It goes against reason. It goes against sense. It, 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 it goes against reality, And John has done this, like, the astounding thing is, is as he talks about unbelief, the unbelief surrounding Jesus, he, he, John, just told us, and I mean, if we go way back to when we started the the gospel of John, we saw John's just going to tell seven signs, you know, seven witnesses, seven I am statements, seven signs Jesus performed. And we've made it through, just coming to chapter 12, we've made it through all the signs that John tells us about Jesus, seven of them. We, we read about Jesus, John chapter 2, changing water to wine. This declaration that, that Jesus was the master over quality, that he saves the best for last, that when, when he comes in, things change, and he, he makes it for the better. Uh, we read about Jesus healing the official son from a distance in a different town. He spoke, and with a, with a word, the boy was healed, just telling us that Jesus, like distance other communities around the world. They're not like separation, physical separation is no problem for Jesus with a word done. He's master over it. John told us in John chapter five about the healing of the lame man at the, at the uh, pool on the Sabbath, a man who had uh, suffered for 38 years. And we saw that like history And time is no obstacle for Jesus. Like, that doesn't stop him. He can work in the midst of of that. We saw Jesus in John chapter 6, feed the 5,000, telling us there's no limit to his resources. That he is not just the master over quality, making water to wine, he's the master over quantity. There's no lack in his resources. We We saw Jesus walk on water telling us this, John wanting us to know this, that Jesus, that, uh, that the laws of nature, natural law, bow their knee to Jesus. He's, those, those things are subject to his control, not him to theirs. We saw Jesus heal a man born blind in John chapter 9, telling us that th- this, this truth, that Jesus is master over, even over things that I would think are unexplainable. That I don't know why that misfortune or this happened in my life. Why was this man born blind? Why did this happen? That Jesus is the master even over those questions when we give things to him. And the last sign that we saw was in John chapter 11, Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, a man who'd been in the tomb for four days, telling us that Jesus is the master over death. And so, I mean, we just have seven signs. I mean... In Israel, they had Jesus publicly present for three years going about this work of the ministry, proclaiming the gospel, performing signs and wonders and doing amazing things. And and it's astounding that when you stop to think about it, there were men and women who didn't believe. They didn't believe in Jesus in spite of everything that they saw the evidence that was in front of them. It's like, it's why Lazarus was, Lazarus was this, you know, as we've seen the last few weeks, this important figure the last week of Jesus. Everybody wanted to see Jesus, and they wanted to see Lazarus, and still, even though they saw the man raised from the dead, there was, there was unbelief. And really, like, you, you read this, I, I think this. Actually, and it's true even today, that unbelief is kind of unbelievable. Like, what? You don't believe? That's crazy. That's, that's unbelievable. And it brings to mind this question Why don't people believe in Jesus? Like, why not everybody? What, don't you think that? Like, why not believe in Jesus? Why would people reject the light of the world, the man who claimed he was the light of the world? Why would people reject the the son of man who says he's the savior of the world? Why would they close their eyes in unbelief and say, no, nah. no to the light of the world? And it's one of the big questions that kind of we ask as Christians, you know, as followers of Jesus to go, man, I don't, I don't get it. Why don't more people believe? Why is it that you could like talk to people about Jesus and about the gospel and they don't respond? Remember when you came to Jesus? I don't know how old you were. If you were a little kid or a teenager, or maybe it's something new for you. But when you when you like come to discover Jesus, what you find is this is like you want to tell people. Like, hey, I met Jesus. And this happened for me. And he's done this in in my life. And I feel like forgiveness from the past and I feel his peace and like my character's changing and it's like I read the Bible and this book's like living to me and like God's helping me and you want to tell people about Jesus and you say Jesus said he's the way and they're like the way, there's lots of ways there's lots of ways, how could he say that he's the way there's lots of ways no, 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 Jesus said that he's the truth well how do you know that? You know, people ask that. Well, how can you prove that? How could he claim to be the truth? Like, I've got my truth. You see, he's, he's the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. And they say, the life. You're actually missing out on life. By following Jesus, you know, you can't do this, and you can't do that, and you're missing out on life. And and it's crazy. You think, well, what is bad about this message? What do you think that? Like, what could possibly... What is there to reject about what Jesus says and claims and his gospel? And, and John actually gives us here in this text three responses that explain why people don't believe. And the first one is this. Number one is this. It's illogical. It's irrational. It, there's no reason to it, actually. Like there's not a good explainable Reason it it doesn't make any sense, and it's true today. You're like, okay, Jesus said this. This is who He is. What could possibly be bad about this offer? And when somebody chooses unbelief in Jesus, you recognize you're like, wow, this is like contrary to what I expected. I expected you would hear the gospel and you'd want to respond to it. And the signs that Jesus performed, these these seven signs that just John tells us about and all the others that he performed, those signs in and of themselves are sufficient to tell us Jesus is who he claimed to be. He proved it. The things that he did proved it and so unbelief itself is like unbelievable. Why would you not believe? Because it goes against logic. Today it goes against logic. But the second thing John tells us is this, is that the reason why they they won't believe is that it was predicted this would happen, that Isaiah prophesied that this would happen. Check it out, verse 37. Again, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? John does this. I I just was like, oh, this is cool because we're going to go into Isaiah on Wednesday night. Just come join us. And John does this. He's going to pull two texts from Isaiah to talk about this. And the first one he pulls is, is a prophecy from Isaiah 53. That's where this quote's happening. And Isaiah 53, even if you're like, well, I don't know that, you're more familiar with it than you realize. (laughs) Because Isaiah 53 is like the passage of scripture that we use all the time around Easter. It like, it prophesied all of the sufferings of Jesus like so clearly and you can look at it and and see it And, and I would tell you Isaiah 53 is like worth going home and reading this afternoon and it's incredible because Isaiah like prophesies with amazing clarity, the suffering, the punishment uh, that that Jesus would endure and Isaiah prophesied it 700 years before it happened. And Isaiah 53 begins with the words that John quotes here. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And so John does this. He applies the prophecy of Isaiah 53 and the suffering servant to Jesus. He says Jesus is the fulfillment of what was prophesied 700 years ago. And what's amazing about that is this, is it, it, it helps us. Like, you know, we have the benefit of hindsight. We can look at the passion of Jesus and say, why did this happen? And then we go, well, it happened because it was prophesied. God said this would happen. He foretold the crucifixion and death and resurrection. And, and these things that happened to Jesus wasn't an accident, wasn't an unfortunate tragedy, this terrible tragedy that happened to a man who was this wonderful teacher. And what that tells us, what this tells us is this is that that Jesus' crucifixion and his death and his rex- resurrection was actually the consummation of what God prophesied would happen. That it was God's plan all along. It was the fulfillment of what God had foretold through his prophets. And and Jesus, the man who said that he was the son of God, was God's servant and he ransomed us, he redeemed us by his blood and it was the plan of God. And the scripture tells us, Isaiah 53 says this, like sheep we've all gone astray and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of each one of us. He, he, he paid the price. And so the cross, the cross is no accident as we get ready to go into this part of John's gospel. It's, it's no fluke. It's no fluke. It's no accident. It was the plan of God. The suffering of Jesus was predicted and prophesied and that which was prophesied began with this prophecy. Men will be unbelieving. That's what John tells us. That that they would be unbelieving. And that's tragic. But what that means is this. We shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised. It's, It's prophesied. Which I think is this, which I think is this, which means this, all the more reason to rejoice when someone puts their faith in Jesus Christ. I'm like, wow, life's a miracle. Life's a miracle. We got got two sets of new grandparents here? Yeah, two sets of new grandparents. Is life a miracle, Kevin? Little Brock was born like two weeks ago. Okay, Cheval this week. Luke and Kimberly had their new baby. Is life a miracle? Life is a miracle. Life comes from God. And it's an amazing thing when there's new life. It's miraculous. Because what we should expect is unbelief according to what Isaiah prophesied. And I would say this, that knowing Jesus is the greatest of gifts. It's the greatest of gifts. Gifts from God uh, his gr- in his grace, the Lord is gracious and compassionate as we sung this morning, that he would make known to us his son. That we would have the great privilege of not unbelief but belief in Jesus Christ. Grace is amazing. And so when you think about it and what, what John is just telling us here is, is number one, that to not believe goes against logic. I'm gonna explain that a little further in a minute. It's un- Ill- illogical. And, and number two is that it was prophesied, but there's a third reason. Check out verse 39. It says, Therefore they could not believe, for again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. The third thing John tells us, so first thing, it's illogical. It's illogical. Second thing, unbelief was prophesied. And the the third is this, is that unbelief was actually the result of God's revelation of himself. Which sounds so weird. What? God revealed himself and the result was unbelief? Yeah. That's exactly what he's saying here. You, you would think that the revelation of God through his son Jesus would... Result in belief, but it actually led to the opposite. John says, This they could not believe. They could not believe. Look at verse 37. You'll see that you'll see this. Those who did not believe turned into those who could not believe. And John again quotes from Isaiah, but this time, rather than Turning us to Isaiah 53, he turns us to this amazing text in Isaiah chapter 6. And and I would say this, you should go home and read Isaiah 53 today, and you should go home and read Isaiah 6. If you're not familiar with them, I would encourage you to do that. Isaiah 6 is this amazing text that happened in the the final days of Judah, the kingdom of Judah, before they were overtaken by the Babylonian Empire and we read this, that Isaiah had a, a vision. And in this vision, he saw the glory of God. He beheld God and he, he saw himself in light of who God was and he came undone. He said, woe is me, I'm an unclean man as he saw the glory of God. And the Lord sent an angel and the angel took a coal from the fire and cleansed his lips and purified him. And then the Lord said this, Whom shall we send? Whom shall go for us? And Isaiah said that famous line Here I am, send me. Send me. And Isaiah was cleansed and he was commissioned and he was given this task Go and proclaim the word of God. Go to your people and proclaim the word of God, even though your kingdom is in the midst of its decline. Go and proclaim the, the, the word of the Lord, but the Lord told him this and this prophecy that's quoted here. You need to know this. You're gonna preach, and there's gonna be no results. Isn't that awesome? You're gonna preach, and there'll be no results. That's like, wow, thanks a lot, Lord. You know, I was just thinking about it, I'm like, no wonder Isaiah needed to see the glory of God, because he just quit otherwise, right? It's like, are you kidding me, Lord? You know? Imagine coming to church, all prep, prep to preach. There's just nobody here. No one. Week after week, Isaiah was like a man banging his head against the wall, declaring words from the Lord and nobody listening. No results. And in fact, as he, as he preached, rather than belief, the exact opposite happened. To the contrary, the more he preached, the less people responded, the less they believed. And it's crazy to think this, that the very message that was meant to save people would actually drive them further from God. And so imagine the disappointment for Isaiah. But John tells us the same principle was true in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus' message His preaching, the signs, it was all clear. It was all logical, and yet it was met by stubborn hearts of unregenerate men and women, and they refused the message of God. And we ask this question like, why won't they believe? And the answer to me seems awful, but it makes sense. Look again, he's blinded their eyes and hardened their heart lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. You know, the question I ask, every time I read this, I think, why God? Why would you do that? Why would you harden their hearts and blind, blind their eyes? Why, why, why would God do that? Isaiah was told, the more you give them truth, the more they're gonna close their minds. The more you give them truth, the harder their hearts are going to get. The more you give them truth, the further they're going to go into unbelief. And I would tell you it's for this reason, and I think this is the point John is making. They didn't want to believe. They didn't want to believe, and therefore God made it so they weren't able to believe. He hardened their hearts. Why? to ratify the decision, to make it clear so there's no doubt, there's no question. Think about this. You see, if God did not harden their hearts, if he didn't, Jesus' teachings were so powerful, the signs were so persuasive The signs were so overwhelming that this would have happened. They would have believed against their will. They'd have no choice. And the same is true today. Those who don't want to believe and continue to take the posture of unbelief, there comes a time when they cannot believe. And to me, this is amazing because it means this. It's like every time you and I hear the word of God, the truth is this. Either I'm getting softer or I'm getting harder. One of two things is happening. There's no neutrality. Your heart and mind is getting harder or your heart and mind is getting softer towards the things of Jesus. And you, you can't go into neutral. To, you cannot remain neutral when you hear the word of God declared. You know, if you've determined that it's not true, then I'm going to tell you this. Your unbelief in Jesus is going to grow the more you hear Jesus preached. You will get harder and harder and harder. And to me, that's scary. You know, like that's scary for people who choose unbelief. That's why Jesus said this. Walk in the light while I'm here. Walk in the light while you have the opportunity. Take the opportunity to believe in me while the light is shining or or God will do this. He will close your mind. He will harden your heart. He will blind your eyes. God will help you write down the path you choose. That's what we read about Pharaoh. You know, that's one people always ask about Pharaoh. What about Pharaoh? You know, you read the 10 plagues of Pharaoh and it's like, I can't remember, is it 5 and 5 or 7 and 3? I think it's 5 and 5 where it says a plague happens and Moses goes and preaches to, to Pharaoh and God does, performs the sign and Pharaoh hardens his heart. And five times that's repeated and then you get to the part of the text and it switches. Moses goes and preaches to Pharaoh. God performs a sign and then it says this, instead of Pharaoh hardening his heart, the scripture tells you God hardened his heart. And you're like, what? What's going on here? How come it's this? And it says, did God God harden his heart on the front? Did God harden? what's What's going on here? You know, the scripture says this about Pharaoh, that Moses declared this to him, that he was God's chosen instrument. That God picked him. That God chose him. God chose him to serve the purposes of his kingdom And his glory and his ways. That's what what Pharaoh was chosen for. And the Exodus account tells us that he hardened his heart to what God had chosen. Every time he heard the word of God, he hardened his heart. Time after time, Moses came to him and delivered the word, performed the sign. And you know that if you don't, I mean, if you know these signs, they're crazy. The things God did. And Pharaoh hardened his heart and then the Exodus account tells us that there was a switch, that Moses delivered the word and God hardened his heart. And it's the reason why that happened is this, the same reason with Jesus' signs. The plagues were so persuasive. The plagues that happened to Pharaoh and the Egyptians were so powerful they could not be argued They could not logically be taken down. There's no way to explain them away. They were so powerful and persuasive that Pharaoh would have believed against his will if God had not hardened his heart. That's what the scripture tells us today. If you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Don't harden your heart. Don't... Don't harden your heart because God will help you down the path that you choose. If you open your heart to Jesus, he'll share with you more and more of himself. He said, "If, you, if you, I'll reveal myself to you and the Father will reveal himself to you. If you open your heart and mind to Jesus, Jesus will open it further and further and reveal himself to you. Don't be closed to the truth of Jesus. This is what I want to tell you this morning. If I could like plead with you, if I could beg with you, if the spirit of God could communicate anything to you this morning, do not close your heart to Jesus. Because if you close your heart, he'll help you down the path you choose. And there's no way to water that down. You know, that's, that's the message that you can't be neutral with Jesus. You you hear the word of God, you you accept it, you grow and you walk in the light or or you reject it. Now look at verse 41. Jesus says this or John tells us this. Isaiah said these things because he saw the glory, he saw his glory and spoke of him. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Isaiah, I just like, wow, Isaiah saw the glory of God and The inference here is that he saw Jesus. He saw Jesus. And I'll tell you, if you believe in Jesus, you will see the glory of God. You will see Jesus in his glory. I I was stewing on this. Joan and I were talking because we were on the phone the other day and having a great discussion. It's like kind of fun to chat with my kid because he's like doing these Bible courses and, He's got this good buddy who's uh, who's doing the same thing on the other end with the Jehovah Witnesses. And he's getting ready to be baptized. So I, I think he's been assigned Jonah. And so he's like, hey, what about this? What about this? So we're like, I'm like helping him along. Okay, well, you need to, I'd go here and to think about this. And so Jonah and I were, were, were chatting on Friday and I said, hey, man, you should ask him this, because I'm like reading this in, I, in, in John chapter 12. Ask him whose glory did Isaiah see? Whose glory did Isaiah see? Because John John here tells us that Isaiah saw the glory of Jesus in John chapter six. I, or sorry, in Isaiah chapter six. But it's clearly Jehovah. So you know, I was doing on this. This morning I'm walking to the church. Well, I guess he's out? On the street doing their thing, so I'm like, okay, okay, Lord, you want me? Okay, I'll go here. So I stopped on the way to the church. I said, Hey, can I ask you guys a Bible question? They're like, Yeah, sure. I'm like, How come John says that Jesus, that Isaiah saw the the glory of Jesus? Isn't Isaiah six? Isn't that Jehovah? Are they the same person? Because I'm like confused. I was reading that in my Bible. And I get the sense that they're the same person. So like, what? Well, uh, uh, well. And out they pull, they got a commentary that they can pull up like right away. And uh, they gave me an answer, which was interesting. Their answer was this. They said, well, the pronoun's like plural. So it means that Jesus must have been there at the same time. I'm like, uh, yeah. It's called the triune God, man. (laughs) I mean, I didn't, I, you know, I didn't get pushy or anything like that, but it was, it was just so interesting. And I would just tell you that this is an awesome text uh, to point people to and defend the deity of Jesus. Is he God? Well, John tells us that Isaiah saw him in his glory, that Jesus is Jehovah. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, that's what John says. And inspired by the Holy Spirit So John tells us about one type of rejection, a closed heart, but then he tells us about another type of rejection of Jesus. It's called the closed mouth. Look at verse 42. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. So John, just he says this, it's like he's like the crazy thing is is that as he's talking about unbelief, he's like there's lots of people who did believe. Like in their hearts, they saw the signs, they saw what Jesus was going, and they believed it, but they didn't let it come out of their mouths. Many believed, he says, but they wouldn't confess. They wouldn't confess because, listen, what that's telling us is this, is that, letting it out of your mouth is as important as having it in your heart. That they're equal. That they have the same value. That if if it's in your heart, it has to come out of your mouth. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. If it's in your heart, it's got to come out of your mouth. And the word of God says this, that if you believe in your heart, you know, Romans chapter 10, verse 9, 10. If you believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead and confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. There's something that happens in your heart and it has to come out of your mouth. And I'll tell you this, I think that this is important, that John wants us to see this, that faith is not real unless you let it out. It's not real unless it comes out. Jesus said it this way. He said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my father. But if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my father. See, confession is an absolute necessity to have vital living faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, you're straight up. You're not really a believer and a follower of Jesus unless it comes out of your mouth. unless you can confess, Jesus is Lord. I believe it in my heart and I confess it with my mouth. And You can believe, you know, you could could believe all the intellectual stuff you want about Jesus, but if you don't confess it with your mouth, if you don't let it out, well, John's commentary is actually scathing what John says. I'm like, ouch, I read that and I'm like, whoa! I don't, that. He says they they lo- they wouldn't speak it, they wouldn't confess it because they love the glory that comes from men more than the glory that comes from God. That's tragic. The unbelief that John is talking about it's 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 twofold. It's like a closed heart on one hand, and a closed mouth on the other, and. And the tragic thing about the closed mouth is that it has to do with the fear of men. You're afraid of people. You love the glory that comes from men more than the glory that comes from God. And so John gives us this picture, two types of people. One that has closed hearts, another that has a closed mouth. And they're one and the same. They're people who reject the truth of Jesus. Jesus. Unbelieving. One closes their hearts, doesn't let the truth of Jesus in. One closes their mouth, doesn't let the truth of Jesus out. Because they're more concerned about people than God. More anxious and afraid of people than having the fear of the Lord. So we get this picture of belief, like for those, of, for those who believe we recognize this. My heart's got to be open. My mouth has got to be open. And this topic, I mean, it's not very comfortable. I have to say, I'm like, oh, man. Lord. Okay. But it's the truth. And it's amazing that this topic was the very last thing that Jesus publicly taught. This was it. This was the last message that Jesus declared. And I, I just think this, this is like the final will and testament. You need to hear this because it's the last thing I'm going to tell you. Look, look at verse 30. So sit up, pay attention is the idea here. Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I've come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my word and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me, does not receive my words, has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on that last day, for I have not spoken of my own authority. But the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. I think this last public teaching of Jesus is kind of simply summed up. Two points. The first, Jesus is saying this. He's saying to meet me, is to meet God. To meet me is to meet the Father. To see me, to see Jesus, is to see God. To to hear his voice, to listen to Jesus, is to listen to God. And that means this, that your attitude towards Jesus is your attitude towards God. If you listen to him, if you believe in him, Jesus said, then you won't walk in darkness. You won't. He said, I, I I came to save people. I love that about Jesus. Don't you love that? He's like, I came to save. I don't come to judge. I, I, I came to save. But that doesn't mean there won't be a judgment because he infers that, that there will be a judgment. Even though he came to save, and that's his heart, there will be a judgment. And that's the, the second point of what he's saying here. And it, there's a warning in it that he came to save people, not to judge them, but there is a day coming when those who close their hearts and close their mouths will be judged. They'll be judged, Jesus says, on the basis of what they did with my word. I won't have to judge them. The judgment will come down to the basis of what did you do with the things that I declared to you? Did you respond to the word and believe, or did they close their hearts and continue in unbelief? And literally, Jesus, literally this is telling us, we will be asked this question. What did you do with my word? That's what the Lord will, and then the decision will be yours. You know, it's interesting, if you just flip back into John uh, Chapter 12, verse 20. Let me read that to you. 20 and 21. It kind of sets the stage for where this whole conversation went. And the, the conversation was this. We looked at it last week. Now, among those who went to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida, and they asked, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Do you know that it's not seeing Jesus that matters? It's hearing him. What do you do with what you hear? Faith doesn't come by sight. Faith comes by hearing. And and Jesus actually says this, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, but you will not be received or condemned into the kingdom of heaven by what you've seen. You will be received or condemned on the basis of what you've done with what you've heard. So I read this and I think, "Wow, man, the unbelief." I'm like, "Wow. You know, there's nothing polite about being unbelieving." Well, I respectfully decline to believe what you believe. It's actually not polite. There's nothing respectful about it. To be an unbelief, in the eyes of the Lord, it's not polite. In the eyes of the Lord, unbelief is straight up refusal to listen or to acknowledge. In the eyes of the Lord, unbelief is, total, is a rejection of Jesus. And the condemnation of unbelief, Jesus says, is judgment. But he said, but those, but those who receive my commandment, it's eternal life. Look again at the end of that chapter. He says, And I know that his commandment is eternal life. Eternal life. It's interesting. This is where, like, this is it. Public ministry. Over. <laughs> and then Jesus grabs the boys. It's like I was making me think of uh, my, my hockey. <laughs> And coaching, it's like, okay, boys, we're gonna retreat back to the dressing room and we're gonna go over the game plan. And John tells us the rest. The rest of John's gospel is the chalk talk before the game. Boys, I'm going to the cross. Now here's the plan. Jesus is like uh, drawing it out, the pregame speech. Just, just so we got this clear, guys. You gotta have the pregame picture of about what's about to happen. And and Jesus withdraws. With the 12, but he ends his public ministry with this declaration The commandment of God is eternal life. What have you done with the message of Jesus? That's all, that's all, it's just what it comes down to. The gospel, the message of the gospel that God loves you, that you're made in his image, that you're made, you're designed for relationship with the living God. And sin, rebellion from God, severs that relationship. It breaks it. It damages it. It, It's a relationship that is beyond repair due to my sin and your sin. But Jesus did this. He came to restore that relationship. Gave his life on a cross, was buried, was raised from the dead. Victorious over sin, he bore in himself our sin. We're like sheep, we went astray and God laid on him the iniquity of us all and he paid the price, he ransomed us with his blood. And the message of the gospel is simply this, that if we'll put our faith in Jesus Christ, if we'll believe him, if we'll open our hearts, Jesus, I believe you died for my sin, that God raised you from the dead. And if we confess with our mouths, Jesus, Your Lord, the scripture says, you will be saved. You will be saved. And you know, I think, to me, God is so loving. God loves the world. God loves the world, and this, like, you think, wow, the way he acts with hardening and softening, and I'm telling you, it's an act of love. That God loves you so much that God values you so much that He will not, He will not dishonor you by taking you against your will. The logic is so clear. It's the logic is so powerful. The message of the gospel is so powerful. The gospel is the power of God. That when you hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and you look at the life of Jesus Christ and the signs that he performed, you will be taken against your will into the kingdom of God. And God loves you. He will not take you against your will. He's seeking you. He's wooing you. He's calling you. Will you come to me? will you open your heart to me?